Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I'll take my wine any way I can get it. And I'm Jules, and I'm a lover of all the spritzes. That's some foreshadowing right there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into uh, the actual shadows, then, let's kick things off with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. So Jules, what are you cheersing and jeersing to this episode? So I feel like my cheers and jeers this week are both kind of fun and light because it's summer. So cheers to warm weather, backyard kiddie pools, and road trips because it's finally getting to be that time of year where we get to do fun things unless COVID has other ideas. I sense some more foreshadowing in this cheers and also like COVID be damned. I can still do a backyard kiddie pool and enjoy some warm weather. There may be more backyard kiddie pools than road trips this year. Fair, fair. We'll see. And my jeers this week goes to allergies. And I know you know what I'm talking about because you're suffering today, but... Lately, my allergies have been really bad, and when I get bad allergies, my I want to scratch my eyeballs out. So I've just been like digging in my eyes. It's like, the worst. Oh, it's terrible. It um, really is bad. Not that we're looking for a pharmaceutical sponsorship, but Pathaday is fantastic. It has gone through. Never some, even heard of that. Yeah, it's an eye drop. I used to have to buy it in Spain because it was so fucking expensive here. Thank you, America. Mm. But um, now Did we it, talk about healthcare at one point. <laughs> probably mm-hmm. now it's over the counter though, uh, so I highly recommend. I mean, but what the fuck do I know? I sound like a seventy-year-old like bar hag from Jersey at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fine. Suffering from your own allergies today. <sighs> what are you cheersing to today, Drea? So my cheers is to plants. Yay! They're the new pets. I love them. I can't get enough. They are all over my house. And I refuse to stop. So it's going to be a real thing. And I can't say anything about that because I have about 55 houseplants in my house. So I can definitely cheers to that. Goals. And for jeers, summer travels. First of all, I'm not going to get to do enough of it. Uh, I tend to, to work and to teach during the summer. Uh, I love a summer slacker. That is my ideal student. Just that student that's happy getting a C and chilling out. (laughs) Um, So I will be doing a lot of work. And then two, we live in San Diego. And frankly, which we love, which is great. We do love it. But But because it's awesome. I just hate tourists. Oh, that's right. I said what I said. She said it. I said it. I hate it. But then you're it. a tourist a lot because you travel internationally, you know, non-COVID times. Not like a dumb fool, though. Not like a tourist. Yeah. In, in quotation marks. I had a bachelorette minivan park in front of my house the other day. Like, oh, girls, what no. you doing in South Park? What you doing in South Park? And you're like a few blocks away from the main action. From action. So yeah. That's really weird. Well, you know. So Zonies go home. <gasps> we might have to edit that out. Oh, fine. So yeah, cheers and jeers for this week. For this episode, Schweinigans. Schweinigans. Since we are kicking off a full summer O-Fun, we thought it would be fun to talk about some of our favorite summer foods. Since we're going to be doing a lot of sipping 
this summer. Might as well talk about a few things we like to eat, too. You know, it's all about balance. Is it? <laughs> Probably not. Not with us, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> We're going to pretend for a little bit. So, Jules, what are some of your favorite summer foods? <laughs> so, in true Jules fashion, my first thought was slushies. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's not a food, but it's alcohol in a more... Um, Solid, solid form. form. Yeah. Yes, it's got some texture to it. Yeah, some consistency. Correct. So during the pandemic, one of our local bars here called Fernside started creating go-to slushies. Shout out to Fernside! Oh my gosh, Fernside, and they were a hit. Let me tell you, they got us through all, that pandemic. I do have some statistics. Oh wow! That during the pandemic, when they started selling those slushies, they were selling fifteen hundred a day. This. Does not surprise so me. So I am not the only person in town that was enjoying the go-to slushies during the pandemic. Oh, nah, girl. Every time we order, remember when they were delivering during the pandemic? We always walked up and would get them. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah, no. I was like, delivery? Sweet. I'll take six. Yeah, we would like take the dogs and walk to the okay. outside, you know, because they did the to-go. Yeah. You couldn't go inside. So anyway, so people started collecting the plastic slushy cups. Because they came in little kitty plastic cups. That with had all a these... lid and a little straw in it. And the yeah. animals on the outside. Yeah. It was very charming. And so people started collecting them and started doing really creative things with them. So I know one of my friends, and I think Drea also did this, created a Christmas tree complete with lights out of the slushy cups. And I know that my friend Kristen hung it from a palm tree outside of their house here in the neighborhood. We did the tabletop one. It was, we'll have to post a photo on the Instagram because shit got real. Yeah, because we love those slushy cups. But, you know, after a while, and I actually saved all my slushy cups. I did too. I thought that eventually we were going to have a slushy cup party when the pandemic was over. Well, it turns out we're fucking never getting out of the pandemic. So, anywho. How many do you think we have between the two of us? Oh, I have at least 50. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I have a lot of slushy cups. You have more than that. Oh, oh yes. Well, if you were ordering six at a time, then yes, you do. But anywho, eventually Fernside <laughs> decided to sell these, you know, branded tumblers that were, you know, obviously reusable, like the stainless steel tumblers with the lid. And so now you can walk up there and get one of your tumblers filled. So now we have these tumblers that we can take up and get refills. And my favorite flavor of slushy up there is called the Mexican Firing Squad. And it's delicious. Tequila based. Yeah. So it's fantastic. It's a classic. It is a classic. And I it's do. just a perfect summer drink. To I do sip wish on while you're walking around the hood. They would bring back the Mai Tai. They had it for like three weeks in the summer of twenty twenty. And it was fucking legit. They once in a while have it back. But it's not the right like the Mexican firing squad is always yeah, on the menu because I think that they might have a revolt on their hand if they did not have it. That's fair. Um, but for real, if I had to pick a favorite favorite summer food, it's barbecue. And I know that's not super specific because it's not barbecue, barbecue, but like, you know. All like, meats all the like, time. <laughs> I'm not saying like, you know, Kansas City barbecue. I'm just talking about generally barbecuing anything on the grill. So that could be vegetables. It could be putting your 
potatoes on the grill, you know, your meats, your sausages, all that kind of Some stuff. listener in Texas is crying right now, but you're I mean, just like that's vegetables. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's everything is to me appropriate to put on the grill. Um, and in our little neighborhood here, we have our own butcher. Shout out to Sepulveda. So they good. make the best homemade sausages, hands down. And some of my particular standout flavors are their Thai green curry. Uh, they have a Chinese pork dumpling flavor and then a spicy fennel. And to me, you can't beat a good sausage platter in the summer when you grill up some peppers, some onions, sausages, and then put it all on a platter and then, you know, just have maybe some potatoes on the side or if you want to do like some hummus and some pita and kind of make it more like a Mediterranean platter, it's the best. So barbecuing things, not barbecue barbecuing foods barbecue food <laughs> shawinigans everybody shawinigans no there is a difference folks there is a difference so drea what would be your answer to this question so like jules i started off with um something that's questionable as a food it's my, not a food my well, your slushy wasn't a fucking food either. I didn't even say that it was questionable. I just said it's. I went with not a food. <laughs> well, my mine was my first instinct was margarita. Well, duh. is it a food? I mean, it's got fruit in it. it has fruit in it? Yes, it has correct. fruit in it. It's basically fruit salad. As does salad. wine. Yeah, it again fruit <laughs> salad. We're having fruit salad for dinner. It's fine. Uh, but on the salad notes, probably my favorite food of summer is a salad. I fucking love salads. I know She does love, I love her salad. salads. She's always rolling up here with a Trader Joe's salad. <laughs> I'm not kidding, everybody. Like, all the time, I love salads. Uh, I have recipes for winter salads. I have recipes for fall salads. She's I got love dessert a, salads. I got dessert salads. salads. <laughs> all the salad. I got entree salads, appetizer salads, all of it. Um, but I really love to eat salads during the summer. There's just something about the crispness of a bunch of, you know, delicious, well-sourced produce hanging out together. Um, and honestly, I know I complain about the weather a lot on this podcast and I should probably shut the fuck up because I live in San Diego where everyone thinks the weather is perfect, but I'm not going to because it's my prerogative. But, um... I I fucking hate to cook and to eat when it's real hot. Well, I don't think anybody more... loves it. But here's the other thing, too, that maybe what people are might not be thinking about is a lot of us here in San Diego don't have air conditioning. Oh, I do, and that's shit beyond blast. Oh, see, I don't, we don't have air conditioning in this house, and we live in a really? 1924 Spanish-style home that when it is 100 degrees outside... Our thermostat legitimately will read 96 degrees inside. Oh, So the no. oven is not getting turned on. No. Jules is not no. standing at the stove, stirring anything in a pot. She is, that is why the grill is on all summer. And I pretty much do all of my cooking on the grill because it's just, you can't it's physically just... do that inside. Okay, so. And you're one of the very few people that I know in San Diego that has air conditioning. Oh, I would die. You, I'm a you, real. You I'm, would die. I'm a real baby about it. I'm going to have you over. I'm going to make you sit in my house 
when it's uh, 96 degrees uh, inside. Great. Well, I'm just going to bring a kiddie pool and plant it right fucking here in <laughs> the our, dining room. On our original hardwood floors, yeah. everybody. Yeah, she's, she's, right, she's right all on over the, it. Right on the dining room table. Are you worried about the dogs getting up on there? You're going to have to worry about This dining room else. table is big enough to hold about four people in a kiddie pool. Oh, for sure. For it's sure. It's a dining room table. But, uh, okay, well... Um, we're going to be recording at my house a lot of summer. Yeah, the summer is going to all be at Drea's house. Uh, but, and I will make a salad for us. So I fucking love a salad. My faves are a tie between a classic Greek salad, but it has to have really good feta cheese. I don't like, care about that. I know you don't care. Obviously. But I am... But a, is that what makes it a Greek salad is the feta cheese? No, that's okay. not what makes it. But the quality of the feta makes a big difference in the experience of the salad. As with most food, though. Right, as with most the things. The quality of the food. But so many, like, Greek salads just have, like, this shitty, crumbly, dry, feta. Like, no. I, I like, I just think back to, like, my travels in Greece and how fresh and delicious and briny it is and that's what I want um, but my other favorite is a salad I like to make with heirloom tomatoes wa- and watermelon hmm, that sounds good so it's heirloom tomatoes watermelon arugula and I make a pistachio pesto dressing that I is am just... into that I hmm. love arugula also known as rocket that's right also that's known as rocket awesome. yep but yeah those are that's my favorite so you bring the sausages I'll bring the salad and we'll have a great garden party outside. Oh, I was going to be like, with and spritzes. we'll have the kiddie pool on the table. <laughs> or that, with a spritz on the side. Obviously. In this episode, we're doing something a little different to kick off the summer season. So bottle 32 is a bottle of sparkling wine, and we've each designed our own spritz cocktail using that sparkling wine as the base. So the spritz is a classic aperitivo that is common in Italy and can be made in both alcoholic and non-alcoholic versions. Although, you know who you're dealing with here and why would we even talk about non-alcoholic versions? But anyway, I digress. The great thing about a spritz is that you can make them using things you probably already have in your home bar, such as a base liquor, something sparkling, something to liven up the flavor profiles, and a garnish. But you know what? I'm going to say the garnish is not totally necessary. Literally, just some ice, throw some fucking sparkling something in a glass, add some sort of a liquor or something to it and some bitters and you're done. You got some fruit that's begging to be used, toss it in there. You do you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the since we're not doing a specific bottle this time, we're kind of thinking along the lines of, When you're looking at the price point, it can be as much or as little as you want it to be. But if you think about having a spritz out at a restaurant, you're paying between $10 to $15 for the cocktail, but you can really make them much cheaper at home. So also the other thing to think about with your price point is you are going to be mixing this with some other things. So you don't necessarily need to go super high end with the price of the bottle that you're that you're getting. I mean, I wouldn't be getting like the $4.99. The Andre? Andre or Osti or whatever. But, you know, maybe like a $10 is probably a solid choice. And if you're going to spend the money, I would recommend spending it on like the accoutrements. So whatever you're using to enhance your flavor profile or your base liquor. Guys, that's what accoutrements means. 
<laughs> Your enhancements. Uh, so, uh, Professor Drea is now going to walk us through the history of the Spritz. Dun, dun, dun. So this was actually a really fun episode to, to research and think about. I love a spritz during the summer. I mean, let's just be honest. I love a spritz anytime. Why not? Uh, and what I love about them is there's so much variation. But I thought that in my deep dive into the research, we would get to the heart of the spritz. The origin of the spritz dates back to the late 1800s and is rooted in the Veneto region of Italy, which was still part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire during that time. So when we think about the spritz, what's interesting to me is, because you know I love colonialism, <laughs> is it's, we it's really a result of these different cultures and worlds colliding during this period. The early history is also where the drink gets its name. The word spritz is German for splash. And this was the name given to the way that Austrian soldiers preferred to drink Italian wine. The Austrians found the local wines too strong and bitter for their <laughs> taste. I know. Such whiners. Oh, my God. And to make them easier to drink, they added a splash of still water. Thus, the origin of the spritz is actually that of watered-down wine. I mean, I guess that's fair it's i guess the spritz isn't watered down though although most spritzes call for a club soda and ice. some sort of a sparkling wa- uh, sparkling water on top of whatever liquors you have and ice so yeah okay <laughs> i like how Jules is like i approve sure this it, this, this checks is, out <laughs> remember i'm a cultural anthropologist that's right so i, I, I you know i have to think through these things to make sure that it's accurate i think we i'm fact checking drea <laughs> We should change fun facts with Jules to cultural anthropology with Jules. <laughs> okay, moving on. It moving wasn't on. until the early 20th century that the spritz began to be more of an art form and take the shape that we know it as today. So in the 20s and the 30s in Venice and Padua, people started adding bitters, which until then had usually just been drunk with soda and ice to wine and water creating a new flavor profile for the drink. In addition, the oh-so-famous Aperol was first made in Padua in 1919, and the less famous stateside, I would argue, but equally delicious select, comes from Venice and was originally first made in 1920. So these two aperitivos create new possibilities for mixing and sipping with the spritz. So I'm going to add in here, too, that your point about... Um, the bitters being added to soda and ice initially. I have bought a local bitters, and I'll have to look up the name of it to remind myself, Um, but it's a a woman. She makes different bitters here, and they're delicious. And I started just adding them to my blue LaCroix, so the plain LaCroix, and they were fucking awesome. Like, it really was delicious and felt like just an elevated sparkling water, but better than the flavored LaCroix. Right. I've done this without even knowing that that's what you were saying. That you were just being historically accurate. I was being historically accurate. Look at you. And also, shout out to bitters. I love bitters. They bring so much flavor and depth to cocktails. Uh, And if you, your bar is not stocked 
with a full range of bitters, pick some up because they are a game changer and one of the easiest ways to enhance your home bar game. Fast forward to the 1950s, the original recipe for the infamous Aperol Spritz was developed and since then the spritz world has really exploded. If you've traveled abroad, especially along the Mediterranean and of course in Italy, Aperol Spritz is an institution. And if I feel like in the last maybe five years or so, they've really gained a huge amount of traction stateside as well. In the 1970s, uh, we see bartenders begin to use Prosecco instead of still wines, adding a bubbly twist to the classic cocktail. And in Veneto today, the spritz is made with local white wines, including Pinot Grigio, uh, Suave, Prosecco. So those are the classic kind of ways to make a spritz. And then, of course, they add a bitter liqueur, which could be Aperol, it could be Gran Classico, Select, Campari. Those are just a couple of the ones that you see most commonly in Europe today. I would say that here in the States, Aperol is kind of the, the name of the game. Um, and it, out of the bitter liqueurs, it really is the one that ends up on the sweeter end of the spectrum. So keep that in mind. And while one could argue that the spritz never really went out of fashion, an April 2019 article in the New York Times called Aperol Spritz is Not a Good Drink <laughs> by culture writer Rebecca Pepler offered a scathing review of the classic and promoted a resurgence of interest in the drink, which I'm sure... Pepler was really thrilled about. So she wrote, served in branded jumbo wine glasses, the sugary aperitif is paired with low quality Prosecco, soda water, and an outsized orange slice, resulting in something that drinks like a Capri Sun after soccer practice on a hot day, not in a good way. Wow. Ouch. That's... You know, that's one way to write a review of something. <laughs> Although I feel like Rebecca maybe didn't have a great experience. <laughs> so. You know, the combination of the low quality Prosecco, the branded wine glass. I can I can kind of understand the sort of aesthetics of what that might look like. And then the big piece of orange in it that wouldn't look particularly enticing oh no i want that second. and i want to be under the branded aperol umbrella oh, okay. yeah i want it all i, want I mean the... i've done that in italy <laughs> but in italy it's fine right but here it's a little budweiser <laughs> it's a little cheesy and it's it's corona or nothing here <laughs> <laughs> but what was interesting about this article is it got people it got the spritz back on everybody's radar uh, because it is such a classic cocktail that comes from the wine world. And this thing was divisive as fuck. Like the Twitter wars about this was insane. People with too much time on their hands and a real love of their alcoholic preferences uh, really went in on this. But I will say is I think it challenged the market to come up with new ways to imagine the spritz. So I would argue now that 
especially in your warmer climate regions in the United States and of course in Europe, you're going to find some type of spritz on almost every single menu. And it may not be the classic Aperol or select spritz that are the historical basis of the cocktail, but you're going to find something that incorporates a sparkling wine or even a still wine, possibly, if they're going real OG with it, uh, and these other various elements that we've been discussing. And I think that for you know, kind of drinking culture and wine culture, that's a good thing because it continues to expand the market. So for example, in California, up in Napa and in um, Paso Robles in the Central Coast, you're starting to see a lot of wineries that are also now doing distilling and or making things like bitters or different aperitivos to really enhance their products and bring in that new client who may not be as interested in wine, but is interested in a good cocktail. Yeah. And so it's another way to kind of access the wine world that I think is really great. And more importantly, you know, and lucky for us, it looks like the spritz is here to stay. And I love it. I mean, I love the Aperol spritz, the, the old school traditional one. I tend to go light handed on the Aperol because it can be a little bit on the sweet side. It also has a really chemically looking color. You don't like that bright, high C orange color? Well, <laughs> and you know, maybe you're going to talk about this as part of the history, but I believe that originally that color came from insects. Yeah, probably. It was a cochineal, cochineal beetle. Um, yeah, it's some sort of a hard-bodied little insect that they'd crush it up, and that's how you get that color. And it's actually something that they still use today in natural dyeing. Mm-hmm. So natural dyeing for clothing, they use a cochineal like you can you can buy it in bulk and use it to dye things. And they, they don't use to- it anymore for ingestible products, but. Well, they still use it in some cosmetics, like red lipstick. I'm sure they do. Which yeah. I'm currently wearing. She is. She rocks a good red lipstick. <laughs> Again, we digress. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the different regional variations, because I, I do feel like we are seeing spritzes all over the place and with all different sort of cultural affinities. Absolutely. And that's kind of why I love a spritz, because it's... You, know, you have your classics, but they're going to be so drastically different. And you know, one of the things I want to make clear to our listeners is there's really no single composition for a spritz. So literally, the world is your oyster when it comes Anything to this cocktail. Goes. Anything goes. Uh, Which we like. <laughs> yeah. We like that about it. And it really opens itself up to experimentation. So in terms of regional variations, it's important to note that it is prepared with different ingredients in different towns and cities, meaning that the alcohol content is also highly variable. Mm -hmm. So if you are a traveler and you're a drinker, just make sure that you are cognizant of what's going into that spritz because typically we think of these drinks as fairly low ABV, not super high aperitivos. And then, of course, your sparklings tend to be on the lower end of things. So you're looking at maybe... You know, 11 to 12, somewhere in that range. Uh, but you never know. So If you're a Drea, you like to put a little shot of gin in your spritz. Yeah. So that's I mean, going to kick you your ass. If you think that you're sipping a spritz through a straw, 
that's just a little bit of sparkling wine <laughs> and a little bit of Campari. And then you don't realize that there's, you know, an ounce or ounce and a half of gin in that. Right. And I had a spritz out for brunch the other weekend that had mezcal in it. Yeah. So beware. Buyer beware. <laughs> Buyer beware. Choose your own adventure. Have at it. But the common denominator is the presence of a sparkling white wine and water. And the remaining ingredients are made up of a variety of alcoholic drinks, sometimes mixed, and of course, garnishes. Typically, the garnish you see is a lemon, an orange, or an olive. Those are the classics, but I think today bartenders are getting really inventive with how they imagine a spritz. Uh, grapefruit is really common. I see that a lot. Fresh herbs are really common. Uh, and of course, ice. So that's what makes this truly, I think, a summer drink. But let's talk about some of the spritzes we see around the world. I thought it was only fitting that we look at Austria, since it was those Austrians who couldn't handle their Italian wine intake who really got the shenanigans started. So in Austria, they have what they call the Moose Mountain Spritz. I just want that to sink in for just a hot second. Are we sure that's not in Canada? It said Austria. I looked. Okay. I'm telling you. I just feel like that would be a Canadian drink, right? The Moose Mountain Spritz. Yeah, probably. It sounds like it could be. But, you know, I bet they have moose in Austria. Okay, so tell us about this (laughs) Moose Mountain Spritz. So the Moose Mountain Spritz, uh, the Austrian version, features moose which is a botanical spirit crafted in the Austrian Alps that's made with mint, mountain pine, gentian flower, chili, and maple syrup from that's imported from Quebec. Ah, see? Canadians. <laughs> Secret Canadians. Oh. Secret Canadians. I love how specific this was, too, in the description. Can I say, though, that that actually sounds pretty good? Mint, pine... Flour, chili, chili, maple syrup. Right. No, it does I sound. I think it sounds good. It sounds intriguing. It, it sounds, sounds like something that should be mixed with bourbon. I don't know. Anyway, go. I'm sorry. Well, continue. Wait till you hear the rest. Okay. So this moose spirit is often mixed with apple juice. Nope. Ginger ale. Okay. And or fresh lime juice. Okay. And it, this twist on the classic is kind of a spiced up version of the original. So the Austrians are really using local products to develop their spritz. One of the things I find super interesting is there's not a ton of sparkling wine in this one. There's no sparkling wine. Because I'm assuming that it's the ginger ale is the sparkling element instead of the water. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm assuming this mousse because it's a spirit is obviously not a sparkler. Right. Although it may be grape based. So it's a botanical spirit like Stay gin. tuned, listeners. We might have to go on the hunt for some moose. Oh. It's hunting season. It's hunting season. <laughs> we on the hunt, people. Then no list of variations would be complete without my beloved España making an appearance. The Spanish well, version. the Spaniards just can't keep their nose out of anything <laughs> that has to do with drinking. 
Also, they gotta be all in the business. The Aperol Spritz is fucking everywhere in Spain. Everywhere. It's everywhere. It's... Because the Spaniards are really trying to be Italian. No, that's... No, don't say that to a Spaniard. I know. Those are fine words. <laughs> Everybody calm down. I lived in Spain for six months. España is literally my second home. I'm just... I'm just... Trying to poke the bear. A little bit. <laughs> the moose? Trying to poke, <laughs> trying to poke the, the moose. moose. Spain's version is called El Bandera al Fresco. This Spanish take on the spritz includes the use of vermouth, red or white, and the Spaniards love their vermouth, and a bittersweet El Fresco aperitivo, which has been in production since the 19th century. Made with a base of Grenache wine, El Fresco is made with Mediterranean botanicals like licorice, mint, rose, and citrus. You mix El Fresco with tonic water and garnish with an orange slice for a true Mediterranean experience. So again, no sparkling wine, really just focusing on the El Fresco and the tonic water, which doesn't surprise me for the Spaniards because they love a drink with tonic. Yeah, this drink does not sound good to me at oh, all. Oh, see, I am salivating. Like, I don't like licorice, so that flavor, yeah, no. Mm-mm. I'm going to pass breaker. on this one. All right, well, let's let's continue Take our tour. Take me somewhere else. Where else, where else do we have? France. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Enchanté. And this, of course, is the Le Blanc, right? So this French classic spritz has become a star in its own right. Uh, Lillet is a fortified wine made with Bordeaux grapes and is citrus forward in terms of its botanical profile. So this cocktail has become a traditional French aperitif. And it combines Lillet, tonic, and garnish with a slice of cucumber, which is also fancy. Other variations include adding champagne or French gin. Ding, ding, ding. Ding. This is a winner for me. Right. This sounds like what a spritz is about. Summer, light, refreshing, extra boozy, extra boozy, a little, a little <laughs> boozy. Yep, I'm here for that. But the point of all this is that wherever you are, you can probably find a spritz, a spritz. and you can probably find one to suit your taste. So, for those of you who are thinking this fucking podcast, I came here for the wine. I don't want to talk about this damn spritz. Give one a shot experiment a little go nuts choose your own adventure putting on the spritz yeah why not and now jules i know that you also have some fun facts about the spritz to enhance our historical timeline here so what did you find out for us this episode i found out a lot of interesting things about the spritz did you do any direct observation ethnography work (laughs) i did but a couple of years ago so i had to go back in my travel diaries to sort of think back upon into the research archives into my research archives and think about this but um one of the fun facts that i discovered about these spritz is that if you're partaking in an aperitivo out at a bar in italy it's best to specify the type of spritz you want and the correct way is to put the word spritz first, then specify the liquor or liqueur. For example, if you want to order an Aperol spritz, which is what we would do here, I would like an Aperol spritz or fill-in-the-blank spritz, um, there you would say um, spritz Aperol. 
So you're telling them that you want the spritz, and then you're telling them what kind of spritz that you want. So that makes that was, sense. That was kind of interesting. Um, here's where my own travels have given me some insight. When we traveled to Venice a few years ago for a wedding, and we were sitting out in the piazza, and it was 1,000 degrees, and there were 1 million people milling about because, of course, we were there during the biggest festival of the year. See, those damn tourists. <laughs> Including ourselves. I mean, let's be honest. Um, I was like, I need a spritz. I want a spritz. And, you know, I'm reading the menu and seeing what kind of spritz they have. And it turns out that Venice has its own spritz. Of course they do. So it's Prosecco, ice cubes, sparkling water. So you've got double sparkles or double bubbles. Aperol. Lemon or lemon twist or an orange slice. And this is the key factor in a Venetian spritz. One green olive. One single green olive. That's interesting because uh, Venice is the home of Select. That other liqueur that was really common with the early spritzes. Mm -hmm. And Select is supposed to be garnished with an olive. So I find it interesting that... They've now married the Aperol spritz and the classic select spritz together using these different methods. And I wonder how much of that is just the evolution of taste and how much of that is really motivated by... I think it's economics. The, yeah, the tourism industry and the Aperol economics. is cheaper than the select. And more people, I think, are familiar with Aperol. Yes. So if you're traveling there and you're in St. Mark's Square... And you're going to pay your 15 euro for a spritz. <laughs> you want, you're going to do it if it's something that's a little bit more familiar. Yeah. And I will say that until you and I were out shopping for spritz making ingredients and you pointed out select, I'd never heard of it. See, but and I feel like I scour menus and I really look at things that I'm curious about. Also, it, I've but... seen your liquor cabinet. I know where you keep your stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she knew that this girl does not have select. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so the olive makes this particular spritz a little salty or briny, which was interesting. Oh, and I'm I not typically, uh, I eat a lot more olives now, but at the time I wasn't a huge fan of olives. I actually got to be a big fan of olives while traveling through Italy, but I was a little skeptical of that spritz when I got it, but it was delicious. It sounds like it would be amazing with oysters. I don't eat oysters, but I'll let you be the judge of that. First cheese, no oysters? I know. Who are you? I'm just the worst kind of human. (sighs) Okay, my next fun fact is that the spritz has become so popular, so popular, that now you can even buy them in a can. Shut up. You don't say. (laughs) Fun fact, everybody. Dre and I are partaking in a can of spritz right now. We're doing our due diligence Mm -hmm. and doing our... As my granny, who's from Scotland, used to say, research. We are doing our research. Doing a deep on dive. spritzes. So one of the ones that we are drinking right now is actually from the Spritz Society. I love that. And they have four different flavors, all in a can. Pineapple, which I find abhorrent. I think that that would be so gross. I wouldn't even want to try it. Also, I find it deadly because I have an allergy to pineapple. Oh, so that's <laughs> definitely a bad out, mix. Yeah. Blood Orange, which is the one that we are partaking in right now. Quite tasty. It's okay. It's okay. Grapefruit, I would be absolutely into trying. And lemon. 
The lemon one might be weird. Lemon one might be weird. I did see that they used to have a pickle one. Ugh. Which I find disgusting, but then when you think about the olive, maybe they were going for kind of that brininess, saltiness, but they don't make it anymore, and I have a feeling we all know why, because it sucked. <laughs> That's gross. Maybe they'll discontinue the pineapple, It too. got two thumbs down. Ugh. Okay, my final fact today about the spritz is that it is part of the aperitivo culture in Italy, which we've talked about a little bit, which is all about food. So the spritz is a perfect drink to prepare the palate for the food without overwhelming your palate. So that's why they're typically light bodied in flavor. So when you think about kind of creating your own spritz recipe, keep in mind what you might be eating with it. Just like we pair, you know, our traditional wine tastings with food, you want to be thinking about what are you gonna be eating with your spritz and how do those flavor profiles work together and that really the idea behind the spritz was to kind of work really well with food. Right. Well, and when you think of like an aperitivo, the idea of an aperitivo and the use of bitter liqueurs and vermouth, those type of beverages are designed to also open up the stomach and prepare, prepare you for, the yeah, stomach. Yeah. For, to for, receive all to receive the carbs. all the food. Uh, <laughs> that's why like, in Spain, for example, you have like vermouth hour. It's not happy hour. It's the time when people go out before dinner, have a vermouth that's a simple garnish with an olive or an orange or lemon wedge. And it's the same idea, kind of to open up the body and the palate to receive all those tasty morsels. Yeah, so there you have it, everybody. You've got your historical facts and your fun facts about the spritz and i'm really glad we have a plate of snacks for our tasting today we're doing a little something different jules and i each designed our own spritz to our taste and have a little brunch party where we tried them out but a couple of things to note when you're going to make your own spritz at home. First of all, there is a fuck ton of inspiration on the internet. On the Googles. On the Googles. There are spritz recipes galore. But the thing I would encourage you to do is think about what you like. What flavors do you like uh, in a cocktail? What flavors do you like in a wine? That's going to give you a sense of what kind of spritz drinker you may be. And from there, pick some ingredients that are going to mirror those flavor profiles for you. But the basic recipe of a classic spritz is three parts Prosecco, two parts of your choice of bitter liqueur, and one part, the spritz, of soda water. Serve over ice, put out some salty snacks, enjoy with friends. That's the basics. But of course, because we like to complicate the shit out of everything on this podcast, <laughs> we went nuts. You should have seen these two bitches at Total Wine. Which, by the way, Total Wine is now becoming our go-to place. Because I feel like the last few episodes were like, and hello, Total Wine, sponsor us. We love it here. It's, com- it's convenient. 
It's quick. It's huge. It's massive. There's so much selection. <laughs> oh my god! It's, it's very a easy overwhelming. to spend $150 rather quickly. <laughs> yeah. So Dre and I walk into this Total Wine, and I have a six, like a six bottle carrier bag, like a a wine bottle bag, right? Because I'm thinking we're here to buy some Prosecco to make our uh, spritzes, and then we might buy a couple other things that we need to might mix in. Accoutrements. And we walk in, and Dre's like, should we grab a cart? And I'm like, no, we've got our, I've got my little wine bag. Famous last words. <laughs> well, these two were supermarket sweep style, like, running through there with people asking us if we needed to help. We had both arms full. We had the wine bag full. We had scotch, six, four bourbon, four-packs, cans, cans. of spritzes. <laughs> it was, it got a little ridiculous, but also it was fun. So, go to... Go to Total Wine and, you know, just peruse. Yeah. Also, grab a cart. We, we do this just all grab for a you. Cart. <laughs> if and you the, take anything away from this episode, it's grab a cart. Grab a cart. And I will say when we checked out, it was a really young guy that was checking us out. And I checked out first and Andrea checked out. And then, you know, he said, I'll see you guys later. And I said, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think he thought we were kidding, though. No. <laughs> He did start chuckling, and I think some other people there kind of gave us a side eye. And I'm like, what? You guys are here at Total Wine as well. So Yeah, I see what's in your cart. I I'd see like that a, you I'd got like a cart. I like a judgment-free zone. Thank you very much. What we ended up with on our trip that actually made it into both Spritzes <laughs> was a Prosecco. So we bought the Mio Nieto Prosecco Brut, and the price point is about $12 for the bottle, We decided to be a little respectable, but again, to keep in mind that you are making a cocktail with this. So it doesn't need to be a super high-end Prosecco. You don't need to invest in a fancy champagne. Don't be buying a bottle of Vuv, you know what I mean? Just just chill out. You can get Also, I don't think there are really expensive Proseccos, are there? I just a good research note. Because I, I feel like Prosecco is always super affordable. I saw some that are, were higher in the 20s there. Okay. Which, again, if that you're going to mix be, it and yeah. turn it into a spritz and, you know, put ice in it, you don't need you don't need to be doing that. So stick I would stick with a bottle around that $10 price point range. 10 to 15, solid. And you want to do a brute. So you want something that's going to be on the drier side. Some Proseccos can can lean a little bit sweeter. So depending on the type of liqueur that you're adding to your spritz, you just want to make sure that you're creating something that has some balance to it so that you're not just creating a sugar bomb. Unless that's what you like. Maybe that's you like a Jolly no! Rancher. Maybe you like a Jolly Rancher in a glass. I refuse. No. I'm going to refer you to a different podcast. Just kidding. You're dead to us. Oh, sorry. That was too much. I took it a step too far. Sorry, listener. <laughs> sorry mom <laughs> so for this bottle in terms of tasting notes it tends to have a more fruity bouquet more golden apple notes it is dry it's light bodied it has a nice balance between the sweetness of a sparkling that just naturally comes with residual sugar and a little bit more of the herbal aromatics. And the company says that their wine is perfect alone as an aperitif 
or a delightful compliment to appetizers. But what I think is important about this tasting note is, again, that idea of having it before food or with a very light portion of food to kind of open up the stomach. So that's why we thought this would be a great Prosecco to use for our spritzes. And I think it it was a really it was really good. Yeah. We tried a little bit. We tried it by itself before we started making our spritzes just to kind of get a feel for what our base was going to be. <laughs> and we were pretty happy with it. So Yeah, and you are the one who's actually less a fan of Prosecco. I mean, I'm a garbage hoe and if it's bubbles like Hand it on over. Yeah, no, I'm really, I don't love Prosecco because typically I find it to be way too sweet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also just that, uh, I think a lot of times when you get Prosecco at a restaurant, it's maybe on the cheaper side. I will say that the Costco Prosecco, like the Kirkland Prosecco, is really good for spritzes too. Oh, really? That's typically, I usually stock up on the Kirkland Prosecco during the summer just for, I only use it for spritzes. I don't use it for anything else because I don't like to drink it by itself. That is a hot tip. Look at that. And I was just at Costco yesterday and did I even think to do that? Wow. I did not. Wow. Good job. Disappointed. You can take my my card back. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Auditions for a new co-host next week. <laughs> so what do you like about this one, this particular Prosecco? What makes it different for you? I like that it's not very sweet. It feels light and refreshing, and I could definitely drink a glass of this by itself. Side note, we are actually drinking a glass of this by well, We had a bottle also. left over. There was a can't, bottle left over. Can't waste so that shit. We had to do this for the podcast. We do it for the podcast. We do it all for you. I did it for the podcast, baby. <laughs> Um, it, so it, it is really light. Yeah. It's got some, just enough of that fluty, fruit, fluty, fruity, fr- fluty flakes, fruity, <laughs> fruity floralness. See, you try saying that. Uh, but it, I think it's got like some nice citrus notes to it on the finish too. So, and it's not overpowering. I think some Proseccos can be really aggressive mm-hmm. in terms of the acid uh, on the palate. And this one isn't, which I think makes it a really strong contender for a spritz. Because yeah, it's mellow. Yeah, it, and it's going to enhance rather than compete with whatever you're adding to it. I think so. And I think it worked really well for what I made for the spritz. So Jules, sure. tell us, what did you make? And full disclosure, uh, we did this taste test on my parents this weekend we had a brunch and... And the husbands. And the husbands. The husbands and... And the dogs. Dad. The dogs did not drink, though. No, they did not drink. But um, my mom, Rose, in true Rose fashion, liked Jules's feathers. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jules, what did you Jules make? Jules wins! <laughs> so, I called mine the Spritz Fizzy in true fashion of putting the Spritz first and then the name of it after. Um, so, you could call it the Fizzy Spritz. Uh, my inspiration for this was just summer. I wanted something light and refreshing and kind of a porch pounder of a spritz. She knew what she was going for. Yeah. Like, she understood the assignment. And I think at one point Rose, so Rose's Drea's mom said, I could drink this all day. So she was, was like, not Mission fucking around, yeah. <laughs> my, I, I, what I, I set out, I accomplished what I set out to do. 
so the ingredients for my spritz fizzy was fresh ginger, uh, fresh squeezed lime juice from our tree in our yard, simple syrup, so just plain you know, white sugar mixed with water, ice, club soda, Prosecco, and then a mint garnish. Truth be told, however, I did go to a few different stores, and I think we might be having a mint um, problem. <laughs> a mint, we have a mint a problem. mint shortage because I could not find mint anywhere, and it's one of it's one of the herbs that I don't have in my own garden, and I didn't really have time to find mint, so we didn't have a garnish for mine. I did put a little bit of rosemary in mine as a little garnish, and that I think that worked really well, but. So. Get a plant, pick an herb, yeah, whatever. Uh, so the method for making this this spritz, first you have to muddle the ginger. So you take, you know, however many you want to make, you're gonna kind of pick your your uh, quantities. So muddle your ginger, then you're gonna mix your ginger with your fresh lime juice, your simple syrup, and ice in a shaker. And shake it up until the outside of the shaker gets kind of that frosty, kind of frostiness. So it's nice and cold. Then you're going to pour that mixture um, into a wine glass. So I definitely used a strainer because between the ginger and the lime, there was a lot of, you know, pulpy stuff 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 that you don't want in, in your drink. So you pour that into a wine glass. You're going to top it with your Prosecco. Add your club soda and then throw some other ice cubes in there. And this, to, you know, I think a lot of people like to make a spritz when they entertain during the summer. It's a light drink. It's fun. It tends to have a lower ABV unless you're me. It's pretty easy. It's easy. And and your measurements don't have to be precise. precise. Exactly. But with this, the... Precisely. Precisely. The ginger and the lime juice can be a pain in the ass just because it takes some time, right? Mm -hmm. But that's something that you could even do beforehand and prep and have it ready to go. I mean, I squeeze citrus when I know I'm going to have a party or guest Mm -hmm. and then it's... And I squeeze it, strain it, and it's there and it's ready to go. So when I am mixing, it's just like boom, boom, boom. And you could, technically, you can buy all of this stuff at the store. Like, you don't have to, you know, squeeze your lime juice. But we have a lime tree, and we love to go out and just pick the citrus when we need to use it. And we have a little a little tiny juicer, um, an electric juicer. And then ginger, I do feel like nowadays in some specialty stores, you can find ginger juice or, you know, something that you could use instead of but then you have then you have to sort of like think about how much you're using if it's not fresh lime juice you may want to bring it down a little bit because it's going to be a little bit more potent i think than the fresh lime juice if it's like the what's that is it called real lime that's in the plastic bottle in the grocery stores i haven't used that stuff in years because we have a tree so i don't really think about that but also too you want to think about sugar content then you Mm -hmm. know if you're buying like like roses lime juice in most liquor stores or a ginger juice or you want to sub out like a ginger ale or a ginger beer all that is fine but it is going to throw your sugar content off a little bit so just you know be aware with that as you're playing with your your mixture yeah yep So let's talk about how this how the spritz fizzy goes down. It goes down a little too easily, <laughs> I think. 
I definitely would not use a straw. I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> when there's a straw in my drink, I sort of look around and go, I don't know where, where that drink go. It just all of a sudden is gone. So uh, no straw on this one because it does go down really easily. Maybe one of those really thin like cocktail straws. Oh my God. But then you're going to like the vein in your forehead's going to pop out because you're going to be, then your jaw's going to get sore from like. Well, it, it, I think up. I think it encourages stirring rather than chugging, s- sucking. But porch, <laughs> porch pounder. This yeah, this was definitely really was. a porch pounder because it was it was super light and refreshing, and I because there was not any extra alcohol other than the prosecco, it it stayed on the lighter side of what it could have been. I will say, however. This also would have been excellent with a little shot of gin. Or tequila. Or tequila. Yeah. Or bourbon. Or mezcal. Really? So, you know. <laughs> Go nuts. Pick your poison. Start with your basic spritz fizzy and then maybe do the basic one with just the Prosecco and then try it with a little shot of uh, something Your spirit of, your choice. of choice. Yeah. yeah. And... All of these ingredients lend themselves so well to almost every spirit, right? Lime, ginger are such easy ingredients and enhancements to pair with various liquors that it's going to make it, it's just, it's going to make whatever you pour into there even better, I think. Uh, and this was a super great way to kick off our tasting. It was, It's approachable. It's an easy drinker. And it's unique and interesting enough that people who think that they don't like a spritz, I think, will be pleasantly surprised. And the other thing I would say is, you know, we've talked a little bit already about how some people are turned off by spritzes because of that that more sweet-leaning flavor profile mm-hmm. yeah. or the sugariness of an Aperol. Um and if you've got someone who's like a bourbon drinker or a scotch drinker or a mezcal drinker and likes things more on the savory side or likes a really herbaceous gin, a spritz may be a hard sell. But this one has enough of that savoriness that's coming from the ginger that I think makes it really approachable and a crowd pleaser. And you could cut down on the simple syrup if you wanted. You still want yeah. a little bit of, of the simple syrup in there. To cut the lime, yeah. To cut the lime and also, you know, to kind of balance out the ginger. But I think that if someone really was, oh, I, I, I don't like any sugar and the Prosecco would be enough for them, you could just put a little bit of the simple syrup to kind of balance it out. Yeah, for sure. So what would you recommend our listeners pair your spritz with? I think that this spritz would go really well with light, lighter brunch food. So not like a brunch meal, but the kind of brunch where there's a lot of, in my family, we call them picky things. So basically finger foods. So light, um, like sandwiches that you might get at a tea party. So like a cucumber sandwich or maybe like an egg salad sandwich. And full disclosure, I don't eat egg salad because it has mayonnaise in it. And I hate mayonnaise. It's gross. It's filthy, disgusting. I hate it. Anyway, that's wow. an aside. Yep. Mayonnaise, I have strong feelings about mayonnaise. Oysters, cheese. Very strong feelings about mayonnaise. Just keep racking this shit up. Mayonnaise is good for one thing and that's polishing wood. Like that is what I have to say about that. Uh, so those lighter summer 
fair finger foods. No manners. Just no mayonnaise. Even though I said egg salad sandwich, because I do think that that is something that other people enjoy and in my head makes sense Fair for this type of drink. Yeah. And, you know, during the summers, if I'm having people over in the morning, I like to do kind of a more European style breakfast where it's Cheese, some cheese, cheese, some charcuterie, some jams, some nice bread, Mm -hmm. maybe some little mini croissants, you know, stuff like that. Um, The the little tea sandwiches, Mm -hmm. certainly, but things that are lighter that aren't going to weigh you down and make you want to go into that winter hibernation. Mm -hmm. But enough that you can drink... You know, drink a few of these and yeah. not feel lightheaded or like, oh my gosh, I do need to eat something. Right, exactly. So let's talk about your spritz. So my spritz was the polar opposite of It Jules. really was <laughs> the polar opposite. <laughs> she went in hard. So. Drea went in for the late night spritz. I did, I did, as she does with all things. So... Uh, my spritz, I call the bolero, and the inspiration for the spritz is summers on the Mediterranean. Um, so my ingredients are completely on the other end of the spectrum. I am really looking for a rich, deep flavor profile that frankly highlights the bitterness of the aperitivo that I used, which is Campari. So I did an espresso bean infused Campari that I infused myself. It's a pretty easy process. Uh, You take a jar, you throw some Campari in it, you throw your desired amount of espresso beans, whole beans. Don't be putting some weird ground shit up in there. Oh my God, can you imagine? (laughs) <laughs> Talk about straining. Sometimes we have to clarify things for <laughs> no, people. Just, just in case. Uh, whole beans, I tend to do about two tablespoons for like an eight ounce jar of Campari. And pop that sucker in the fridge for however long you want. For this one, I had done three days in the fridge. And I learned this trick from the Italian bartender at my favorite, of course. of course, at my favorite bar in Barcelona in the Alborna neighborhood that I just, I fondly refer to it as Mivada. And maybe one day I will reveal the name on this podcast. But for right now, a girl has to keep some secrets to herself. But this... Because she hates tourists. Yeah, thing, as we discovered early on. Uh, but I, so when I go to this bar, my drink there is the Negroni. And it is phenomenal. I love the way they make it. And they have it's always had something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I got talking to the bartender one day. And he told me that he infuses the Campari with espresso beans mm. to really develop the flavors and give a richness to that bitterness that Campari is, is noted for. And full disclosure, I love Campari. And if I'm out at a restaurant and given the choice, I would rather have a Campari spritz than an Aperol spritz. That's just my preference because I tend to like those bitter and more herbaceous flavor profiles a little bit more. 
So espresso bean infused Campari that you can eat. Back to her home. ingredients, everyone. <laughs> Jesus. Well, five minutes later. I know. Well, oh, that's right. <laughs> she's she's watching the recording. I'm not. You know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. It was worth it. It was worth it. That's what they're here for. <laughs> so espresso bean infused Campari again. Gin, chocolate bitters, grapefruit flavored sparkling water, and prosecco. Those were the ingredients I used. You get a you get a cup, you get a vessel, throw some ice in there, add one to two ounces of gin. I'm gonna let you all figure out which one I added to mine. Uh, but four. <laughs> you know, I would I would select like a juniper forward gin um, or something that and that tends to be on the more like floral side for your gins for this. You don't want something that's going to be overly herbaceous like St. George or even a lot like Gin Mare. Those are just going to have, I think, too much um, of that herbaceousness that is going to overpower the Campari. So think of a gin that's going to be a little bit softer on the palate. So what would be like sort of a more mainstream gin that you might use for this? Like when you think about a Tangare, a Bombay, uh, what are the other... I don't even, I drink like all specialty gins, so I'm I know, like, I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But I'm thinking, you know, just if someone's like, well, I don't want to spend a ton of money on a specialty bottle of gin, like what would be sort of Something, the, so I would do, like the well, like a well gin. Right. I would either do Bombay or okay. um, uh, like the Hendrix, the juniper one, the more floral one, because Hendrix, oh, yeah, Hendrix co- yeah, yeah. has a line of some good ones that you can, you can select from. If you're going to go kind of in that realm, I mean, even Tanqueray isn't that bad for that for this particular drink. But yeah, I wouldn't... Because you're also mixing it with a lot... It's not a gin and tonic. You're mixing it with a lot of other things that have a much heavier flavor. Exactly. Than the gin. Right. So, so okay. and if you can err more on the floral, like juniper side, the better. Um, honestly, some of those pink gins... That are out on the market now that have become sort of the new trend in the gin world would probably be great for this particular spritz because they do tend to end more on the floral side of things. So, yeah, gin. Oh, so over ice, you add your one to two ounces of gin, one ounce of your Campari. Now, the rule with Campari is a little goes a long way. Yes. So you want, you know, and of course, all of this is to taste. This is, you know, my preference. But as you all know, I'm a lush. So there you go. Uh, One ounce sparkling water, a dash of your chocolate bitters, and top off with Prosecco. There you have it. The Bolero. The Bolero. And what would you typically want to eat with this? Like, What would you pair so to your, to your point earlier, this is definitely more of an evening spritz. Mm-hmm. This is something that I would imagine having more like before you go out to dinner. And so because this was inspired by summers I've spent on the Mediterranean, I think that, you know, some tapas would be great. Mm-hmm. A little... Some a little bowl of olives, some pan con tomate, maybe a croqueta, like a mushroom one though. That's what I'm talking about, or a spinach one. Uh, just a little, couple little morsels, bites, something small, uh, but something that's also going to really enhance those flavor profiles. So I would definitely pair this with something more on the savory end of things. Yeah, so we're on the same page with that. But yeah, mine was not everybody's favorite. I'm going to be totally clear about that. 
<laughs> yeah, but that was kind of the cool thing is that we took the same bottle of Prosecco mm-hmm. and we came up with two, two very completely different, different drinks. And in my defense, we were having a brunch gathering. I feel like this would have gone better in an evening gathering. But you knew it was for brunch. So I know. I was, just didn't give a just, shit. Yeah. You chose. You chose to I get an F on the assignment. I did. I did not. I did not understand the assignment. She chose to ignore the assignment, which I was did. come up with a brunch spritz. But in any way, any case, I now, liked it. You know, we kind of understand a little bit more too that not all spritzes are created equal in the sense of time of day that you're drinking, the situation that you're drinking it. Just like wines are the same way. You're not going to drink a bottle of Zinfandel at 11 a.m. sitting outside the sun. No, I mean, even I wouldn't do that. (laughs) So, you know, you just think about where you are, who you're with, what you're eating, and then pair what you're drinking appropriately with that. And that's kind of the same as... Everything else that we do on this podcast and right. how we talk about it. And I think, too, that what's nice about this experiment is there really is a spritz out there for everyone. There really is. You know, so... And some are for not for everyone. Right. So get creative. Check out your current bar cart situation. Get to Total Wine. Buy an orange <laughs> or something. Go nuts. Yes. Should we do the end? Mm-hmm. Part now? Okay. Yep. So we've given you some good ideas for how to approach your best spritz making fantasy. And we've given you a couple options for your sparkling wine and ingredients. So tell us your favorite spritz recipe. Uh, watch our feed as we will be featuring different recipes that come across our desk in the form of a DM or an email. So follow us on Instagram at two girls in a great pod. That's T W O girls in a great pod or email us at two girls in a great pod at gmail.com with your preferred spritz recipe. And we will feature you in on our Instagram feed and possibly in a future show. So until next time, salute. salute.